0: The Latino community is the fastest growing ethnic group in the nation, but you would not know it by looking at the nursing staff of most hospitals, clinics and programs. In fact, when our guests tried to find a book about Latinas in nursing, she could not find one. So she wrote the book herself.
1: Definitely this opportunity has strengthened my community and definitely has rejuvenated and refilled my soul. Anytime there's a, a adversity or challenge, or just of a, having a bad moment, I, I think about the book and the contributing authors.
2: Our guest is Tina Luarte-Rodriguez, the author of Latinas in Nursing, Stories of Determination, Inspiration and Trust. Also joining us is one of the contributors to the book, Zagnite Vargas-Avalos.
3: I highlight stories of my patients and other community members that have showed me what resiliency looks like. And I, I try to honor them through, that, through the book and, and what I write is their journey of resiliency and how
2: as a community we are, we are strong. And this is Conversations on Healthcare.
0: Welcome, Tina and Nita uh, to Conversations on Healthcare.
1: Thank you very much, Mark. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us.
0: Absolutely. Tina, let's start with you. We're so excited to see this book, and you know our part of the world as you were previously. We're the vice president of nursing at Wheeler Health, which is a community health center with five locations across Connecticut. How did you find the nurses to include in the book? And maybe you could give our Listeners, a brief overview of their backgrounds.
1: Sure, my pleasure. Um, So at the time when I was um, the Vice President of Nursing at Wheeler, I was looking for this source of inspiration um, to really help me um, get rejuvenated and um, fill my soul again. Um, Mm -hmm. It was around December, 2020. You know, we had been through COVID for a while, as well as some of the other kind of um, racial injustices that were happening then. Um, and so thankfully, in my search for this book, unfortunately, I didn't find a book, which is why I decided to write one. I did find some other sources of inspiration, a community, the National Association of Hispanic Nurses, uh, which I did not know about until December of 2020 um was uh something i did find as well and i immediately joined um, both the national organization as well as the harper chapter um, and so a lot of the contributing authors are members of that association um, and then also going to some of the conferences i was able to um, connect more with some of the contributing authors and actually zagnite and i met in um, uh, dc this february at our first Um, Latino um, Health Policy Summit. Um, And then the others, I kind of went searching for, Mark. I really wanted to ensure that I had um, diversity in our backgrounds, both from a nursing perspective, but also educationally, as well as our specialties. And so I was really intentional in trying to find where the other Latinas in nursing that were excelling in certain areas, entrepreneurship, academia, research, um, community health. Um, And so I was really pleased to curate this beautiful first inaugural class.
2: Um, There will be more classes coming. Well, Tina, I'd like to share your experience from the book. Uh, And you wrote, I want to quote, as the toll of the pandemic continued and with the racial murders of 2020, towards the end of 2020, I was done, exhausted and demoralized by the broken healthcare system. I was a member of the most trusted profession in the US I felt overlooked and isolated by my profession." Such a powerful passage, uh, Tina. And I wonder if I can ask you now with a couple of years behind us since you wrote this in 2020, how do you see things now? Um, definitely this opportunity has
1: strengthened my community and definitely has rejuvenated and refilled my soul. Anytime there's a, a adversity or challenge or, just of having a bad moment. I I think about the book and the contributing authors um, and how much they have given me as well as now the larger community. And and I'm just, again, um, rejuvenated and really happy. Um, But there is still much work to be done. Our numbers do not reflect um, our, you know, our ratio within the population, uh, particularly in positions of leadership. And um, an influence. So you know, there's very few of us that have the opportunities to be part of boards or the executive suites, um, as well as in academia and nursing boards. There's still too few of us in those positions. So this has been um, an exciting journey to highlight those that I was able to in this first in this first book. But there is still opportunity for so many more um, to be featured as well as for so many others to continue to rise to their fullest potential to continue to have the greatest impact for nursing as well as healthcare.
0: Tina, I want to pull up on two parts of what you said. One, there's more work to be done and then the numbers really tell a a story that requires all of us to be focused because the Bureau of Labor Statistics says about eight percent of registered nurses are Latina and nearly 7% 7% of nurse practitioners are Latina. What has the reaction to the book been so far, and how, how is it raising awareness of the situation?
1: It's just been overwhelmingly positive. I mean, we countless, get countless feedback and stories and, and reactions from Latinos, Latinas, and non-Latinos alike uh, thanking us for you know, highlighting um, our successes as well as our struggles because the book does talk about, you know, both the ebbs and flows of our careers. Um, and there's definitely a call to action for there to be more um, um, sponsorship and mentorship and more intentionality. And how, again, those that have the power of influence um, to really reflect back on how they can contribute to assisting others get the opportunities that they deserve.
2: Well, thank you uh, for that. And I want to uh, turn to Zach Nite with a question, if I can. Uh, tell us about your journey to becoming a nurse and maybe share with us uh, what your uh, part of the book covers.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having us um, today. And like I said, I live in Nashville, Tennessee. And so the South has been um, it's been hard trying to get into these leadership Uh, positions, like Tina said. Um, I had DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, through my process of becoming a nurse. And there were some barriers that my state um, had within its legislation of who was able to obtain licensure. And so in 2016, I want to say I um, really advocated for legislation to, to change that. And it wasn't until last year that it got approved. And the state of Tennessee now can give out licensure to those DACA recipients and TPS holders. But it was an uphill battle. And like Tina mentioned, I wanted to find community. And through the National Association of Hispanic Nurses, I found that community. Unfortunately, back then, when I was a nursing student, there wasn't a chapter in Tennessee. And then COVID hit. And as a first-generation, oldest daughter of immigrant parents, I took on responsibilities that a lot of kiddos didn't take at their age. And so I was the interpreter. I would always go to different clinics with them, making sure that I was translating for them and that my parents' voices were heard at healthcare centers or wherever they would be. And so I reflected on that. And um, when the pandemic um hit, it came around, I saw my community really suffer. And I saw those disparities really come to life due to lack of language access services. Folks didn't know where to go to get tested. And so with my education. And now as a nurse, I had to step up. And so I founded the chapter here in Tennessee. Um, And it's been a really, really great opportunity to dive into those leadership experiences, mentoring other students, actually mentoring five nursing students at this point right now. And the book really highlighted Um, The need that there is for community, especially those in Latinos and Latinas who want to see representation. And in my book, I highlight that the the barriers that can come with being a non-US citizen in this country with other identities um, living in the South. And I highlight stories of my patients and other community members that have showed me what resiliency looks like. And I, I try to honor them through that through the book and, and what i write is their journey of resiliency and how as a community we are we are strong
2: was well, like thank Zach. you for uh sharing all that and uh in particular the legislative barriers uh related to uh daca and becoming a uh, a registered nurse uh to getting a license in your state was i think new information for most people reading it so thank you so much for sharing that
0: yeah, that was such a powerful message. and And thank you for 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 writing it. And uh, you know, Zegnita, I want to stay with you because uh, there's, in terms of your grassroots advocacy, there there's an initiative in California that says the state needs Spanish-speaking physicians more than other uh, linguistically underrepresented language groups. Uh, the current supply is insufficient to address uh, the demand from Spanish-speaking populations. I'm wondering, does the healthcare sector put too much pressure on Latinas in nursing to also serve as translators? What what are your thoughts?
3: Yeah, I think that I'll speak for myself. For me, it's it's a duty to make sure that I use all of my skills. Again, it started as a child helping my parents and that was my expectation. But We also have to recognize that speaking another language is a skill and we, we need to and it's a need and a demand and we need to be compensated and we need to be recognized um, for that level of skill of, of translation and interpretation, um, because it takes time, you have to process and you have to make sure that you are medically correct, translating things to your patients. And so there is pressure there. And I think that we need to recognize that um, we are extremely skilled and we need to make sure that we are compensated um, when it comes to language um, access um, and I think the barrier that I see here in, in Tennessee is that um, nurses stay in the lower level of, of nursing um, as medical assistants, which we need them as well. But we need a pipeline um, and highlighting that your language is very important. How do we get you to a BSN degree or for myself, how do you get to an advanced degree. I'm in that process right now, and it's been a struggle trying to find mentors um, who can, in in the state, who can help me get to that. And so um, how do we keep pushing and highlighting that our skills are valuable and we need to have spaces in these leadership
0: circles? I really like the differentiation between just knowing the language and medical certification. It's it's an added level of uh, responsibility.
3: yes exactly and you have to take a test and you have to pay money to make sure that you're certified and knowledgeable and those exams or those courses can take uh, months nine a year i've seen and so can our institutions where we currently work can they pay for those can we make sure that we are being supported in in that process of making sure that we are providing the correct information to our spanish-speaking patients as well
2: Tina, you uh, are and have been making important leadership contributions. I want to note that you're now the Associate Director of Health Equity Measures at the Yale Center for Outcomes Research uh, and Evaluation. Tell us more about uh, that work, uh, your role uh, at the center, and uh, how is this really uh, promoting cultural competency And our nursing schools, uh, our universities, doing enough to encourage cultural competency? I appreciate that question. Thank you, Margaret. So
1: I have the privilege and honor of working with so many talented professionals, uh, epidemiologists, statisticians, um, master's prepared um, public health professionals. And it's really been um, a gift and a a pleasure to come into the measure development world um, as uh, a nurse who worked in quality for so many years, I was on the outside of it, right? I was the one having to wait for the final decisions and then the guidance of how to operationalize it in the clinical setting and then uh, reporting data and also looking back at the data. So now being at this uh, you know, uphill stream part of it is it, really um, a highlight for me, both professionally and personally. Um, I am very privileged because of my education and my profession, but not everybody in my family or who I love and care for have that same privilege and, um, education of knowing how to navigate the the healthcare system. And so that is the lens. And that is the voice that I bring into my work, ensuring that, yes, we are in, um, looking at the evidence-based practices and the clinical um, trends and getting that stakeholder appreciation, but always bringing it back to that patient, ensuring that it's, you know, people back in my neighborhood, um, in the Bronx, New York, my family members, um, those who aren't um, very fluent in health literacy, um, as well as also in English, um, can have the tools that they need to be informed consumers of healthcare and to be advocates for themselves. And so that's the work that I'm able to do with my team. And every day it's just a gift to kind of be in rooms of influence and with conversations with key stakeholders about how to truly make this work meaningful and
2: really relevant. And and Tina, if I could just follow up on that, are you having an opportunity to dialogue with the leaders of our uh, schools and colleges of nursing around what they're doing both in curricula and experiences to encourage competency in this area and the use of these measures that you're developing? So currently in my professional setting, that's
1: not one of my responsibilities, but in my work, um, in my um, extracurricular activities in numerous organizations, as well as through Latinas in nursing. That is one of our goals to ensure that we are connecting with the entire pipeline of nursing, um, professional development and education to ensure that, that, that cultural humility, ensuring that there's that constant uh, assessment and identification of opportunities of how to um, improve our methodologies, our pedagogy, um, our engagement and our outcomes.
0: Well, certainly now in your role as a distinguished author, uh, you get to speak uh, in many different circles, and we look forward to it. And you're absolutely right. It's such a gift that you're giving uh, to all communities by the work that you're doing. But I have a question for both of you. Uh, UCLA studied earlier this year, found that Latinos still represented a disproportionate share of COVID cases in the United States. The report also found that a higher share of Latino groups We're not fully vaccinated compared with the white and Asian population. And we've talked a lot on our program about the reasons for these differences. Some of them relate to the fear about immigration status. Uh, I'm wondering what advice you would have for the entire healthcare community about improving the situation.
3: Yeah, I can take a stab at it. Um, I think that the most important thing that people forget is when you are going into a community, you have to recognize that that community might not trust you. And we look back into history and how Black and brown communities have been affected um, by racism in healthcare settings. And so my approach, even though I am Latina, I speak the language, I don't assume that someone who might have the same background as me is going to agree with, with what I'm going to say. I provide the space, we can talk about vaccines. Um, that the biggest thing for me when COVID was happening was even just hearing their fears and t- going back. And making sure that we had a conversation where I was non-judgmental and I would just listen. And slowly but surely, I was able to educate them on what a vaccine was why you would get side effects that did not mean that you were infected by the vaccine but this was a natural process of your body's defense mechanism and so just taking my time and talking to um, hesitant community members really made a difference um i did the same thing with my parents and i can't blame them for their fears as well as their immigration status um, because they are trying to survive um, every day um, with a status that puts them at risk from being separated from their families. And so I approached my community with compassion and kindness and tried to make sure that I was active listening all the time. And that's part of what um, you'll find in the book is this common thread of compassion and care. Um, and so that's how I approach all communities that I work with as a community health nurse and as someone who who works um, in government now as well is trying to make sure that I check my own assumptions and biases and that there is a
1: an opportunity and a space to be a trusting individual to make a difference. I wholeheartedly support that on the micro level and I think at the macro level, the system has to be examined and held accountable because it's producing what it was set up to do. There's so many social and political determinants of health that impact our communities that don't allow them to be able to make that decision of going to get more information from a trusted healthcare provider um, that speaks their language, that looks like them, that understands their culture nuances at times and locations that work for their schedules, be it work, family, school, uh, plus all the other um, you know, adversities that they have to overcome to um, just survive sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I feel that as a system, there needs to be more opportunities and accountability to addressing those political and social determinants of health to then be able to uh, truly evaluate, you know, the outcomes that we're seeing now.
2: You know, Tita, you've uh, worked at community-based organizations, you are at at Yale now, and uh, Nicole Gomez wrote in the book that she never imagined that she would become a professor of nursing. And we we could change the name, we could change the role, but we're basically saying, uh, how, how, or asking, how do we encourage people to be thinking big, far down the road, thinking about positions of influence? Uh, early on in their career, how do we support people in doing that? And it's, it's not just nursing, uh, Latinas and Latinos are underrepresented in behavioral health specialties, in medicine, in the technologies that support healthcare across the board. So tell me a little bit about what you're thinking about around that kind of support. You you mentioned there aren't a lot of people in the C-suite in nursing who are Latina. You were the vice president uh, at a very prestigious organization here in Connecticut. Tell us what you're thinking about how we create that kind of uh, career uh, aspiration and and hard, hard support and skills to help people move
0: there.
1: Absolutely, yeah, so I have a couple of thoughts on that. Um, first and foremost is representation, right? Like uh, Others need to know that there are people like us in these positions and, and highlighting that and, and recognizing that and ensuring that um, we um, celebrate those of us who are in those positions. Um, I think the other piece too is really being intentional with um, those, those pipelines. Um, again, having um, accountability to the fact that there should be diversity within the leadership um, of any organization to reflect its community and um, its customers um, so that you know there's a commitment from the organization to ensure that their leadership is reflecting their community and then actively working to that. And in that work as well, there needs to be sponsorship so i i once referred to being overly mentored but under sponsored um and and very there's a lot, yeah there's a lot of uh, opportunities out there but they cost right they cost time they cost money and if if i'm going to if i'm working a full-time job plus i'm going back to school um sometimes carrying three or four classes i don't have opportunity then to do any other development that would then Help me advance faster in my career. So, if there was opportunities built into our organizations, into our systems and structures that allowed for that development to be again more concrete, more intentional, I think that is also going to assist in um, ensuring that the representation that is needed is there.
2: And Tina, I, I think it's safe to say when we say sponsored, we mean economically too. Correct. Right? Uh, providing right. the kind of stipends or support for people to maybe cut back a little bit while they're undertaking that kind of leadership uh, development work. Great. Let
0: me follow up on the the sort of the uh, mentoring issue. Mentoring in medicine uh, is a nonprofit that works with underserved students beginning as early as third grade uh, to encourage them to become healthcare and science professionals. And this program has had great outcomes. Uh, The National Association of Hispanic Nurses also advocates for mentoring efforts. I'm wondering what other programs do you see out there that are making a difference?
1: I've seen some immersion programs where um, middle school students are brought into simulation labs to learn about some of the um, professions, because there's rich diversity within the healthcare um, specialties. And and so a lot of times people just hear about the doctor, the nurse role. And so just really expanding, uh, you know, the general population's understanding of other ways that you can have a career in healthcare, um, maybe as you know a phlebotomist or a surgical technologist, um, and then while you're doing that, using tuition reimbursement to continue on through your training if you wanted to be a nurse or advanced practitioner or a physician. So um, that's one of those successes I've seen. Um, I think also um, there's a need to even go younger than third grade, right? Like. I I have a vision of creating the Latina nursing picture book series, so that as early as one years old, they can be exposed to the nursing profession and all its beauty and all its rewards, um, and to see that progression of you know uh, women and women of color in the stems is definitely something that I think is another area of opportunity. I
3: just wanted to add my chapter in Tennessee has a partnership with an elementary school, a local elementary school. And during Hispanic Heritage Month, we go and we talk to the kids and we give them little scrub hats and um, our vice president made a little Play-Doh surgery Um Thing, and she performed surgery with Play-Doh and all the kids were able to see. And so it's just doing the little things, um, what we think are little, have a big impact um, to younger students.
0: You know, I'm wondering if I could get one final question into both of you. And, and I know this show is going out uh, in for a monolingual, uh, but I'm wondering if you might answer this in Spanish uh, because we have many people who, who are bilingual and understand it, and you've shared many details about the tough parts of being Latinas in nursing. What are the best experiences or memories that might also motivate uh, young people who are listening of any age?
3: Yeah, I, I can answer in Spanish. Um yeah, that'd be great. I think that cuando entro al cuarto de mi paciente, y empiezo a hablar y reconocen que mi acento, mi idioma es igual que ellos, sus caras brillan y es una razón para seguir adelante cuando me dicen muchas gracias, tú me entiendes, tú sabes mi cultura, de dónde vengo y estoy muy orgullosa de ti. And hearing those words, how proud they are of me, even though they have we've never met. I am their nurse, and I walk into the room, but they know that they are safe. Keeps me going, and um, it's just an a unexplainable feeling that you know that 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 patient is going to open up to you, and you will be
1: able to deliver the care that they need. Para mí es un honor ser es su enfermera. Estoy aquí para usted, para su familia. Para escucharle y para ser su voz en su uh, cuidamiento. Uh, si tienes algunas preguntas, me, me llamas, me me haces lo que necesitas, me digas lo que necesitas. Estoy aquí para ayudarle. And it truly has been, you know, an honor to um, walk into spaces and in immediately, as Zanita said in Spanish, to see their faces shine. And to see them relaxed and and to feel recognized and to feel um seen and so i highly encourage um everyone to be um bilingual um and everybody can learn it um and to continue to practice it and, and always be curious
2: i think that is a wonderful note for us to end this conversation on i hope it's the first of many more conversations and please let me thank you both for joining us to discuss this important topic and thanks to our audience. Be sure to go online to chcradio.com, sign up for email updates, and also please share your thoughts and your comments about this program. Thank you so much, both of you. This copyrighted program is produced by Conversations on Healthcare and cannot be reproduced or retransmitted in whole or in part without the express written consent from Community Health Center, Inc. The views expressed by guests are their own and they do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Conversations on Healthcare or its affiliated entities.